According to the Center for American Progress, at least one in four American children and adolescents will experience some sort of adversity throughout the course of their lifetime, which undoubtedly increases with age, which more than doubles between infants younger than one, which stands at 5%, and children older than two by 11%. Jack Cernet is a professional keynote speaker helping students and young adults experience post-traumatic growth and conquer their inner critic. He is someone who's been able to overcome and persevere many challenges and obstacles in his life in order to experience prosperity and the true meaning of what it means to reinvent yourself after trauma. He truly believes that these obstacles have been placed in his life so that he can learn how to grow instead of go once adversity hits. And now it's his life work and mission to help as many people as possible experience post-traumatic growth and the importance of self-love. And Cernet, join me this week to detail in greater volume the obstacles that he's overcome and how he views adversity and the power of vulnerability and persevering through all of it as a strength. It's an empowering and thought-provoking conversation that you shouldn't miss. So, without further delay, I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Fantastic. Well, thank you for ready. I'll take a moment to welcome you to the program, and I'm super excited to learn how to get you back live, but I always great to see you, and thank you for a few minutes this morning, my friend. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Kevin. Yeah, Jack, I know that you are a keynote speaker that works to help uh, kids and uh, individuals work through uh, their uh, post-traumatic growth and conquer their inner uh, critics. So tell me about all the great work that you do, buddy. Yeah, so I uh, I do speaking um, as part-time for now. The goal is obviously getting to full-time with the, with the speaking gigs. My full-time work right now is personal training and some mental health coaching. And then I'll do about one or two speaking gigs a month. And my target audience is mainly high schools and colleges. And the the whole approach is 
the the overall overarching broad hood is destigmatizing mental health and just the mental health conversation but more specifically is helping teach people how to respond to adversity because you know as well as me every single person is going to have something happen to them that they don't want to happen that's just a part of life and so learning how to respond accordingly so you're not always dictated by what happens to you you know i think a lot of people myself included when i was younger when something good happens, we're happy. When something quote unquote bad happens, we're sad. We're like a feather in the wind, right? We just get moved around and blown around based on what happens to us without realizing we have so much power in our response. It's that whole like 1090 rule. Life is 10% what happens to you and about 90% how you respond to what happens to you. And so teaching these kids and these young minds that that's a reality and that's a that's a possibility as opposed to you know, sort of our negative default bias that I think a lot of us have in our like, you know, primal brains where we immediately go to like that victim mentality, right? And the woe is me. And so helping people understand that, learning how to overcome adversity. And then at the same token, obviously, I'm sure you know this, but it's way easier to deal with adversity and setbacks when you aren't uh, a bully to yourself, when you actually like like yourself and respect yourself or dare I say, love yourself. And so teaching people how to how to improve that conversation in their head, you know, that inner critic, that voice in our head that whispers us sweet nothings. Um, you know, overcoming that is going to make overcoming adversity a lot easier because when you're not holding yourself back, it's way easier to respond to the craziness of life that comes up. So that was a lot of word vomit I just threw on you, but that's the overarching goal is I share my story, which is uh, quite a unique background for sure. And then just do whatever I can to help teach these students how to respond to adversity and treat themselves like someone they love. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, Jack, uh, you know this, but I'm a huge believer in the, that there's strength and vulnerability. And being vulnerable is actually a strength when you go through adversity and ultimately overcome it. So tell me, how, how do you view vulnerability as a strength and why do you think it's important to be vulnerable yeah that's actually i'm glad you brought that up because i i don't know if we would have talked about that um because that's usually not something i bring up right away but that is one of the most important things if not the most important thing is to me it's a sign of strength to admit when you need help and being vulnerable you know i've i say this all the time especially when i go talk to a bunch of athletes who are like alpha males i tell them you know asking for help is not giving up asking for help is refusing to give up. And the only way we can ask for help and work on our weaknesses is if we're honest and vulnerable. And it starts with ourselves. You know, I, I've noticed this a lot with my clients and a lot of these students who will come up to me after the speaking gigs, they'll start to realize like they're lying to themselves on a consistent basis or choosing not to tell the truth, um, just even to their own self in the mirror. And so being radically transparent and vulnerable is like the first step to start healing some of the things that are holding you back, healing those triggers, those traumas. Um, you know, for me, when I stopped being a, a, a BS artist, you know, when I was actually being honest and, and I, I didn't allow the secrets to keep me sick, that's what changed everything. Um, I had that ego that, oh, I'm fine, you know, type of mentality for so long. And that just kept me digging a deeper and deeper hole. Um, it's the most powerful thing that you can do. I think it's very weak to pretend like you, you you have nothing wrong, you don't need help with anything. I think it's a sign of strength, to your point, to be vulnerable and, and truly like ask when you need help. Um, and I always come back to that line, asking for help is not giving up, asking for help is refusing to give up. And 
you know, it's a skill, right? For me, I spent 20 years lying constantly, like little white lies here and there. And so for the past like seven to eight years, I've had to consistently practice getting out of the habit. It starts with me, my interaction in the mirror when I brush my teeth in the morning. And it starts with talking to people like you, just being honest, you know, secrets make you sick, being vulnerable and being okay with, with asking for help. Yeah, absolutely. And just building on that, Jack, I know that you have overcome a lot of obstacles in your own life. And you say that overcoming obstacles have allowed you to grow and you, you believe that obstacles have been put in your life so you can learn how to grow instead of go, but So I'm wondering uh, how your own personal journey has sort of affected the work that you do today. Yeah, thanks. For, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it was a little play on words there. I, you know, I, I, for the longest time, would just go through adversity. It takes zero skill to have something, quote unquote, bad happen to you or experience adversity. But to actually grow from it and grow through it, G-R-O-W, grow through adversity, that takes a, a special level of skill and practice and, and a special type of mentality and uh, approach. And so, you know, what was interesting, Kevin, is ever since I was young, I'd respond the same way to adversity. I would let it make me stressed and depressed. I took on that victim mentality. I'd blame the world and life and other people for all my issues. And I let it develop, you know, I let it allow me to develop some mental health issues. I, it turned into an eating disorder. Um, I had to drop out of high school because I weighed 120 pounds. Like it was just this trickle effect. And what was interesting, it's like, you know, the definition of insanity, right? You do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Yep. Well, for so long, for the first 20 plus years of my life, I was responding the same way to adversity without even realizing what I was doing. It was just the same woe is me stress. I always let what happened to me dictate, you know, my emotions and how I how I viewed life. And then finally, I, I you know, I was in the hospital and you, we might get to this eventually, but I was in the uh, ICU with septic shock. And sepsis is when your blood is infected and it can be very deadly. And I was at the point where I was in septic shock and I was in the ICU in San Diego. And I think it was an accumulation effect of just hearing this stuff and learning this stuff over the years, but it finally just hit me all at once. Um, it might've been a combination of some of the drugs they were giving me and just me being in a decent headspace. I realized that there's gotta be a better way to respond to adversity. You know, not everyone who has an injury or crazy like chronic health issue or a death in the family responds by being stressed and depressed. And so one of the quotes I came to was sickness and pain is a problem for your body and not your mind. It's only a problem for your mind if you decide it is. And I started realizing every doctor I went to um, for all my chronic kidney issues and bladder issues, they never said your kidneys suck and now you have to be stressed and depressed. They never said that. I just responded by becoming stressed, anxious, sad, you know, I'm the victim type of thing. And so once I realized that, it's just about taking action. And all of a sudden, I started getting better and becoming a better version of myself through this adversity. So every time something crazy happens um, or adversity strikes, I'm able to grow through it now and level up as opposed to let it knock me down three rungs in the ladder. So it was a 23, 24 year process of actually discovering that. And it finally kicked in um, better late than never, you know. Well, Jack, I always say everything in life happens for a reason, right, my friend? Absolutely. I've got a I've got a tattoo on my arm. It says Amor Fati, and it's a Stoicism Latin phrase that means, you know, embracing a love of fate, 
embracing what happens to you. And one thing I'm sure you can relate to is I, whenever something would happen, I'd be so hung up on stuff that was outside of my control by dwelling on the past and like, oh, what if this didn't happen? I can't believe it. I was wasting so much time and energy on what had already taken place. And so what helped me learn how to grow through adversity was prioritizing my focus on only the things I can control. And I'm sure as you know, and many of the listeners know, it might be hard to admit, but most of life is out of our control. We can control our attitude and our actions. What happens to us often we can't, but like we talked about at the beginning, we control how we respond and it takes reps, right? Repetition is the mother of all skill. The more you practice these things, the easier it gets. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, Jack, uh, a couple of months that I've known you, buddy, you know this story, but I believe that uh, inclusion is the gateway to independence and building uh, social capital is important, my friend. And I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on uh, defining your uh, definition of inclusion and accept, acceptance of all people. What does that look like to you, my friend? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of like philosophers and novelists, and there's this uh, gentleman named Carlos Fuentes. He's a Mexican novelist, and his quote I I agree with completely. It says, "Recognize yourself in he and she who are not like you and me." And to me, that's like one of the most simple but profound ways to explain it. Is you know, in my opinion, I agree with I agree with that. Inclusion acceptance is recognizing yourself and those around you. We have a lot more in common than we think. You know, one thing I realized about being vulnerable, Kevin, is I can throw a rock to someone who can relate to me in some way. It's amazing how much we have in common, um, just complete strangers, no matter what background you come from, no matter what physical strengths or ailments you have. And so I'm a huge fan of like just finding yourself and the people around you. And then, you know, the golden rule, it's so cheesy and so cliche, but most things that are cliche are facts treat others how you want to be treated. And so that's just how I was raised. But what, what that gentleman said, Carlos Fuentes, recognize yourself and he and she who are not like you and me. And I think that's like the best way to say it. And just like everything else we talked about, that takes practice. You know what I mean? It's I think it's easy to sometimes get stuck in the rut of not being including and accepting of everyone. And, and so that to me is huge. Um, and I think he said it great. He, that, that's well-spoken. Well, you know, but I'm also uh, wondering your thoughts on sort of the impact moment that changed your life. What is like your light bulb moment that that really had an impact on your life where you uh, developed sort of your life motto that you live by today? Yeah, so... um... That's a really good question. And there is one that's like my wake up call, my aha moment. Um, and I alluded to it a little bit recently, but, um, you know, from, so in 2018, I was in the hospital for over 300 days for 303 days in 2019, I was in the hospital for 290 days in 2020, over a hundred days, um, 2021, 50 ish, um, last year, only about 20, but back in 2019, I had uh, I moved back from San Diego to Kansas City, where I live now. There was a doctor, a urologist out here at KU Medical Center. He was one of two urologists in the country who could do this surgery I needed. So I moved back here, and my family's from here, so it was just you know it was it was a perfect little transition. And I was in the ICU. I woke up from this surgery. It was a twelve-hour surgery, and I was in the ICU. And I woke up, and there's this gentleman there, 
and he was the hospital chaplain. And, you know, I'm not the most religious guy in the world, but, but, um, you know, we, we, we had a conversation here and he said, uh, we, we didn't really talk too much about religion and stuff. I remember I was a little foggy from some of the drugs and he just looked me in sort of a stern voice, but just to try to shock me, I think he looked me in the face and he said, you can let all this make you a victim or a victor. And he stood up and walked out of the room. And I thought that was one of the instances where I finally realized like, oh, I can choose to respond better to this adversity. I don't need to be that guy who always lets everything happen to him, dictate how he feels. And, uh, you know, I was like twice this guy's size. So he, you know, and he, but he acted and talked as if he was a big presence and, you know, I'd meet with them on a weekly basis thereafter. And, uh, that moment when I was in the ICU hooked up to a thousand machines, um, he told me you can let any and all of this make you a victim or a victor stood up and walked away. And it was like his mic drop moment. And, you know, it took me a long time to really latch onto that. I wasn't like changed right then and there, but that was the first little seed that was planted where I was like, Oh shit, you know, this can, this can really change things for me. Um, and that was back when I was, that was about three or four years ago in the past, it was four years ago. Now in the past four years, it's been just a process of trying to get better at that every single day. Well, life is an evolution of a process, isn't it, Jack? Jack everything yeah. in life has a reason for a season, doesn't it? A hundred percent. You know, the mentality I like to use and I, I I choose to live by, and I say this to all my clients and audiences, is, you know, better never stops. That's the goal. Every day, try to find a way to become a better version of yourself, either physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. You know, there's a whole host of categories, but that's that, that mentality that the Better never stops every day. Just keep getting better. Yeah, and just building on that point, but I know that you have shared sort of uh, your unique perspective on resilience, but I'll ask you the formal question. When you think about resilience, what comes to mind for you, my friend? The ability, so for, for when I think of resilience, first of all, I think it's an extremely admirable trait. And if I can be known like selfishly, if I can be known as like when people think of me, they're like, oh, that guy's resilient. That would be amazing. Like, that's not the reason why I do certain things, but that would be a very admirable thing to be to be known as, in my opinion. Um, you know, to, in my opinion, resilience is not letting things that happen to you dictate your emotions. And obviously, I'm not trying to belittle people's pain, right? You know, there's some crazy stuff that happens. Technically, adversity could be spilling coffee in your lap or having a loved one pass away. Those are both adversity. One is obviously a little bit more extreme than the other. But in my opinion, someone who's resilient is in control of their mind, body, and emotions so that they're, so that they're not always dictated by what happens to them. And I think that's a super powerful skill, and it's contagious. It rubs off on people. That way, you know, I used to go through my life, Kevin, very nervous and anxious because some, if something said something mean to me, or if something bad happened, I immediately would become stressed and depressed. When you start to become more resilient, and a lot of people out there can probably relate to this, you become a little bit more confident and your anxiety goes down and you're more at peace because you know deep down in your heart, you can handle whatever happens to you. You can handle it. You'll get through it. You'll embrace it, the more Fati method. Yeah, absolutely. And Jack, I'm also curious to ask you about how you define emotional courage and what does it mean to you to have emotional courage? You know, I've never been asked that. That's actually really, that's a really good question. Um, it comes back to what we talked about. The first pr 
place my brain goes is when we're talking about vulnerability, you know, one of the things you probably can relate to this as a speaker, one of the things that helped heal me the most was talking about stuff and, and getting it off my chest and out of my brain. Um, and so in my opinion, I think it, one, one thing that's helped me more than anything is developing the courage to talk about the things that will hold me back or my triggers. And then it opens up that conversation for everyone else. And so um, I'm not really sure if it's exactly what you're looking for with that question, but to me, like emotional courage is uh, another super admirable, admirable trait. And um, that can go hand in hand, in my opinion, with vulnerability. Vulnerability equals emotional courage. Yeah, absolutely. My friend is a motivational speaker. I'm sure that we can both share the same synergy with this question. And I, I, I know for uh, all, all motivational speakers, their motivations are different. So tell me, what do you think is your best moment as a motivational speaker? Whether it be if someone comes up to you after a speech and says, you really impacted my life. How do you define your best moments as a motivational speaker? Yeah, that's exactly along the lines of what you just said. After the speeches are done, in particular, after a speech I did recently, it was supposed to be a free speaking gig. I ended up getting paid afterwards because they, they liked it a lot and uh, they felt it was it was impactful and worth it. But it wasn't about the money. It was afterwards when I had a line of students and particularly some of these uh, student athletes come up to me and those conversations and those moments of be them being vulnerable with me. And when the light bulb goes off in their head that they too can overcome all this stuff that they might have in common with me, that right there is gold. That, that That's worth a trillion dollars right there to me is those conversations after the speech. The talk is amazing. That's super fun. But then once it's done and you get to talk one-on-one -on -one with these students afterwards, that is, and it, particularly my last speech I did at a, at a high school here locally, um, that was my most um, prideful moment as a speaker, for sure, was that. And, and I think you can relate, obviously, having conversations with people after the speeches are over, but um, that was amazing. It was really, really cool. And, and to hear these guys open up, so to speak, and have the emotional courage to, you know, spill the beans and, and be honest with what's holding them back, that was... Uh, that was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Life is always about impacting people, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it, negatively or positively. Whether you know it or not, you're either negatively impacting someone or you're positively impacting someone. We're all impacting each other in, in one way or the other. Ideally, it's more positive than negative. <laughs> but however, you're exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Life is all about experiences. We can always learn from our Failures and our successes, right, Jack? Yeah, I uh, as I've gotten older, I've realized that more and more. And you know, I think our moments in time and our experiences are what we'll remember when we're older and on our deathbed. Um, you know, when I was in the ICU with septic shock, sort of flirting with the Reaper, I never once thought about that really cool like watch I have or the nice pair of shoes I got for Christmas when I was fourteen or whatever. I was only thinking back and reflecting on certain specific experiences and moments in time that were um, amazing, you know, parts of my life. I was never going back to the material stuff and all this other stuff that we might focus on, or I was thinking about the people who positively impacted me the most. 
So, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, buddy, I was uh, chatting with our mutual friend Joe Johnston uh, the other day, and I always end our uh, conversations by telling him that the grind is my love language, right? So tell me about uh, having success in life and embracing the grind, buddy, and how important how important that is to you, bud. Yeah, I... Uh... I'm a big believer in, in I really believe people have to enjoy the process more than the prize. If you're only doing something for the end result, you're going to be miserable until you get there and you might not ever actually get there. The what you refer to as the grind, the day-to-day process, I love that. I love getting my proverbial hands dirty and just getting to work. Um you know, I think it's interesting. You ask 10 people on the street, what is your definition of success? You might get you probably get 10 different answers. Um, I'm around a lot of people who are big on like materialistic things, like how much money you have in your bank account material, like your car or your house apartment. I couldn't disagree more with that. You know, I, I, uh, recently, Kevin, I asked 30 of my clients or 30 people over a month. And most of them were my clients. Do you love what you do for a living? I got two yeses out of 30 people. Two people said they love what they do for a living. And it doesn't make you a bad person if you don't like what you do. But in my opinion, success is loving what you do on a daily basis. And that doesn't mean every second of every day, right? But in general, what you are doing to fulfill your life and your career with your family, et cetera, if you don't love it and you're not enjoying it, that's the opposite of success. And so I'm not a guy who looks at like material outcomes or it for me, it's do I enjoy what I'm doing? The daily grind, as you refer to as much or more than the prize at the end. And, um, yeah, that was just an eye-opening experience for me. And that helped me sort of realize I got to really, I, I want to make sure and prioritize loving the process and enjoying the grind. Um, and then the, the prize or the end result is just the cherry on top. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Jack, I want to talk to you about a transformation in life, business, and in, in fitness as well, buddy. Because as you know, buddy, I was born with what's called um, spastic quadriplegia cerebral palsy. Simply means that I, I don't have enough oxygen in my legs to walk normally. But one of the things that I always live my life by is always active because once you're active and moving, then you're included in uh, the conversation of progress in my view. So tell me, when you look at the word transformation, what do you think of when we talk about Yeah, you're speaking my language now when you're talking about movement. Um, you know, I really believe we are movement beings. We are meant to move and use our bodies. We're not meant to sit behind a desk for eight hours a day and do nothing and not and be sedentary. So for me, transformation in fitness is slowly but surely turning your weaknesses into strengths. I think transformation in life in general, I'm a gigantic fan of choosing to do something that sucks every single day actively strategically placing adversity in your everyday life so you can practice overcoming that and becoming a better version of yourself back to our earlier you know topic topic of conversation um you know you, we're never staying the same right we're either getting better or we're getting worse and so for me transformation in fitness career life is 
that better never stops mentality. And and one of the ways to do that is consistency. Joe, you know, our mutual friend Joe talks about that. Consistency compounds. And so for me, it's I have a couple of rules, little daily protocols, non-negotiable I like to follow. And I try to rub this off on some of my clients and audiences is stepping out of your comfort zone at least one time a day, doing something strategically placing adversity in your daily life. Obviously, movement. I go, I train really hard personally five or six days a week and I'll do one or two days of active recovery. And and you, you speaking from your own experience, movement has helped you a lot, which is awesome. Um, and then in the career world, for me, like transformation is you and I being vulnerable by asking someone like Joe, how can we get better as a speaker? How can we improve in our, whatever our career path is? Um, so it's a whole host of things. That was a, a long winded answer. But for me, it's that mentality of, the better never stops because that's the only way you can transform. It's hard to be transform and, and develop transformation if you act like you know it all and you have it all figured out, right? If you're not vulnerable and you're not asking for help or you're not working on your weaknesses, you're not going to transform. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as you're talking to Jack, I'm making a list of uh, have to do when we uh, meet up in Kansas City and I just add working out together. Is it? On the list, buddy, we gotta we gotta hit the gym while I come visit you in Kansas City at the date, okay? One hundred percent. It'll be a bro date for sure. You either uh, you can come to the gym I work at, or my apartment gym is really cool too. Um, absolutely, I'd love to throw down. I call it the weight buffet. I'd love to do the you know attack the weight buffet with you. Oh uh, well, you know, uh, as my brother always tells me. Uh, you only have one body, so we got to take care of it, right? Yeah, on that note, one of the last things that, that makes me think of is, um, you know, Kevin, I can't remember who said, I think it was Warren Buffett said this to a business class one time. He said, so Kevin, if I gave you, if I told you the car you have now is the only car you're going to have for the rest of your life, how would you take care of that car? You would make sure it never rusts. You'd make sure the oil stays changed. You would wash it consistently. You would have maintenance on it, right? Because you want it to last. That is exactly the same thing we have with our body. This is this is that's your one body. This is our one body we have for our entire life. And so, keeping it up in good shape, keeping the maintenance, fueling it well, that uh, that to me is something that's helped me a lot. Prioritize continuing to improve my own health and our my own body, as well as a lot of my clients. Um, it's an interesting little example. I think that helps a lot of people who are newer into the health world is you know just makes sense if this was the one car you had for the next 50 years of course you would take care of it that same thing is the case for your body this is your one body it's your temple uh, yeah absolutely and you know jack my final question for you buddy is a two-parter so if that make your life into a movie my friend what do you think the plot line of that movie would be and how how would you want your personal and professional legacy to be defined you know part of me goes to when you ask me that like the personal professional legacy how do i want that to be defined i have a i'm very big on accepting and being honest that death is a reality i have a tattoo in my arm it says memento mori which means remember that you will die one day let that fact determine what you do and say and think and so part of me thinks I don't really care at all because I'll be dead. I'm not going to know the difference, what people define my legacy as. But then a part of me wants to actually answer the question too is uh, 
you know, I would like to be selfishly defined as the most resilient mother effer everyone knew. And a word I like to come back to, and I'll try not to, if you don't want to cuss, I don't have to, but I like the word unfuckwithable. That is, in a weird way, the mentality I try to live my everyday life. Um, and so personally and professionally, he was a resilient mother effer. That's that's the definition I, w- I, w- I would selfishly want to go by. But then again, it's like other people's opinions and how people define me, it's out of my control, right? I'm going to live my life, do my thing. Whether you define me as this, that, or the other thing, I'm not going to let it dictate how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just one more for you, buddy. I'm curious, curious if we can end our conversation by what does that mean to you to be truly authentic? What would be your closing message about the, the importance of authenticity? Yeah, I uh, that comes back to me when I used to lie all the time. Um it was so draining and so I was so exhausted all the time faking it, right? Pretending I was someone that I wasn't. I used to lie so that people would like me. I used to put on a front and act like everything's fine. And when I would get done with my day and get home, I was I felt like I got hit by a truck. It was so exhausting. And um, what's interesting is a lot of people can can notice that and, and weed out the bullshit really quickly. And, you know, to me, like, being your true authentic self is our highest form of expression. And it's the only way we can truly like love and respect ourselves. Cause at the end of the day, Kevin, you know, when you're lying, you can't fool yourself. I know when I'm lying, I can't fool myself, but I, I might be able to lie to you and you might not realize it. And so for me, the only way that I was able to get a better relationship with myself and start to respect myself more and like myself more was just being authentic, real and radically transparent. And um, that is something I'm still working on. It's a daily process because a part of my an old version of myself, a small percentage of me, is still that young Jack that was, a, a, you know, a BS artist just lying to people, right? So for me, authenticity was one of the first ways I was able to be vulnerable, improve my life. But then I think it's the most important thing anyone can do because it's the only way I think you can truly be happy with yourself if you know deep down you're living your your authenticity. Yeah, absolutely. It's very difficult. It is difficult, though, right? It can be tough. Yeah, well, you only have one uh, chance to make a first impression, so you might as well make it an authentic one, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, my friend. And uh, quickly tell me, Jack, if people want to get connected with the great work that you do, buddy, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, so my website is jackcernetinspires.com, J-A-C-K-S-E-R-N-E-T-T, inspires.com. Um, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, jack.cernet.inspires. Um, you guys can find me there, and uh, I'm sure you might be able to type it in the show notes or whatever if they forget how to spell it. That's the easiest way. Reach out. You know, I'm not going to ever tell you to F off. I'll respond. And uh I appreciate anyone listening to this, and I appreciate you, Kevin, for having me on. Well, Jack, I have to tell you, it's a, it's a real pleasure to have the, gotten the chance to get to know your buddy. You have an inspiring story of both perseverance, resilience, and inspiration. And I want to thank thank you for the good work that you do to inspire the next genera- 
next generation of leaders, and I want to thank you for your friendship and for being here this morning. It's most appreciated. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, likewise to you. Everything ditto right back at you. Um, yeah, I love seeing all your content and stuff. And I, once again, I'm super grateful. Thanks for having me on.